morning. So none of you are good. None of you are bad. And you are all going to die. That's basically the three things we have to accept. None of us are good. None of us are bad. And we are all going to die. If those things can be fully accepted and we can give up attachment to them, then it's a lot more fluid. It's not to say that we're not going to act in good ways or act in bad ways. Although those seem to shift ground too. But this fight to be a good person This fight to avoid being a bad person. This fight to not die. Those are the miserable fights. We keep doing them in our own little ways. More and more subtle. Sometimes not so subtle. When our activity is organized around being good, not being bad, or not dying, that's pretty much an indicator that it's coming from separation. That it's coming from self. And I think we've all had enough experience in this to know that it, all those particular battles for us to be eternally, valuatively perfect. In the eyes of everybody. It's a pretty lost cause. And if we organize that way, There'll be anxiety, there'll be anger, there'll be frustration, there'll be despair. There'll be a whole laundry list of emotions that um, are difficult. In some ways, because the world doesn't, the world of the Saha world, the world of samsara, the karmic world, is already fully in motion and doesn't really care that much about me. It's not particularly personal. All of the things that are functioning, as tragic as so many of them are, are not particularly aiming at me. or at any one of us, although it can certainly feel that way. But it feels that way because self is in place. It feels that way 
because self is the organizer of everything, everything that is. It's the experience of all experience is an experience of that one, and therefore all experience is for that one. So I talked a little about this the other night, about um, Dogen's pointing to what is necessary to reorganize that world, or organize it in a different way. So just to, just this, he has two fascicles that follow each other, fascicle 69 and 70. One is arousing the aspiration for the unsurpassable, and 70 is arousing the aspiration for enlightenment. And they have two kind of different flavors. The aspiration for the unsurpassable is one of, is a fascicle that is basically about doing devotional and wholesome activities, but with no idea of merit in mind. No idea of it gaining us anything. Making us a good person, being a good activity, bringing us merit, making people like us, all of that. That gets dropped. But that getting dropped, Dogen said, that getting dropped doesn't mean that that we should just not care about the difference between wholesome and unwholesome activities. Like it still karmically matters whether we're doing wholesome or unwholesome activities. So we throw ourselves fully into devotional practices. We throw ourselves into, he talks about building stupas and offering incense and all of the things that we do. We do that thoroughly, but we drop any notion that it's doing anything for us. That is kind of in short the arousing of the aspiration for the unsurpassable. Unsurpassable actions, unsurpassable activity. Uns activity that isn't, probably made this connection, that isn't organized around a self that's going to get something out of the activity. It's just the activity. And then in in, aspir in arousing the aspiration for enlightenment, it is about arousing the aspiration for enlightenment, but in, in this case, enlightenment for Dogen is always the aspiration for the awakening of all beings. So the aspiration for enlightenment is not the aspiration for my enlightenment, it's the aspiration for everyone's enlightenment. Everyone's awakening. My awakening is just a part of that aspiration. And he says, this aspiration is so important that if you take the mind of the fully realized person and you take the mind of somebody who's just starting and if they both wholeheartedly have the aspiration for everyone's awakening, they're equal in power. He said, if they don't, they're tremendously different. He said, one has a great deal more realization than the other one, and it's like, you know, basically, I can't remember exactly what he says, something like the sky being lit up versus a little flint spark. 
but if they both wholeheartedly have the aspiration for the awakening of all beings, then they are the same. And they're the same because it is not without, I made it really big, <laughs> it is not without cause that minds and all things, self and other, come together. It is not without cause that mind and all things, self and other, come together. Therefore, at the moment you arouse the aspiration for enlightenment, myriad things become conditions that increase this aspiration. This is, this is what we were talking about the other night, which is, if our minds and all phenomena do not just come together on their own, they come together because of whatever is arising that organizes them, that makes sense out of them. There has to be an intentionality that brings things into, that arrays them out in a particular way so that we see them in certain ways. If our intention, if our aspiration is one that is about me getting stuff, me being good, me being bad, etc., etc., that's our world. But Dogen's saying, if the aspiration is one where our activity is without self-interested aim, and our aspiration is one for the liberation of all beings, then the world, because, because it's now being organized around that, the world will, the phenomena themselves, will be organized in such a way that they will strengthen that aspiration. The world becomes a world that strengthens that aspiration. The aspiration gets easier because the world is strengthening the aspiration. Prior to that, everything was organized around the self and all that suffering, and so the world was a world that strengthened that aspiration. The aspiration to suffer. Now that's not to say that when the world is organized by the aspiration for the liberation of all beings, that there won't be pain. The world is painful. But there won't be this suffering that, that organizing around the self adds to that. The world will still be poignant and, and um, on the good side, the world would be painful in a poignant way, and on the tragic side, it will be deeply painful in that human beings are coming from self-attachment, believing their thoughts, believing what they've inherited, and harming each other. That will be the world. That does not disappear. But we're not adding. In the moment when our aspiration is organized around the liberation of all beings without anything in it for ourselves except liberation, which isn't bad. He goes on to write, At each moment, all aspirations for enlightenment and attainments of the way are born and perish. At each moment, all aspirations for enlightenment and attainments of the way are born and perish. If they were not born and did not perish at each moment, 
the unwholesome actions of the past moments would not go away. If the unwholesome actions of the past moments did not go away, wholesome actions in their, fu in their future moments would not manifest. So, it points to the impermanence of our aspirations, but it points to whatever. I mean, the, there's great news in this, because whatever our unwholesome aspirations have been in the past, that's fine. They're going away in this moment. And there's an opportunity for an aspiration for the liberation of all beings to arise in this moment, and it will arise free of the self-interested aspirations of the past moment, because those are gone. So, it, it wholeheartedly arises in this moment. Okay, so we had a lot of self-interested past moments. Fine fully bring up the aspiration in this moment. The very last moment, we might have been in an argument one second before when we caused harm. And there is an opportunity in the next moment to fully bring up in the middle of that argument the aspiration for the liberation of all beings in that conversation. And if that comes up full force, which I recognize is difficult in the heat of things, if that comes up full force, it will transform the entire situation. The past moment does not necessarily have a hold on the present moment. Often does, because we grab it because the self's involved and we have a story about what happened and we're going to defend ourselves or manipulate or do whatever it is we need to do to keep our story of the world intact. But if we release ourselves from that story and shift our aspiration, every moment can heal. shows us this all the time. I'm looking out over a forest that has been scarred probably multiple generations over. We've probably removed the trees from that mountain who knows how many times. She is not hung up in those moments. brings life right back. pain of the self arises in the body. We have in Mahayana we focus on two, the two wings of awakening, right? Wisdom and compassion. 
And so when we find ourselves grappling, we find ourselves grappling with habits, we find ourselves grappling with the pain that is caused by that grasping. We talk all the time about bringing compassion and love to that one. And it is, in some ways, and this is a, you know, I was, I mentioned this the other night and I've been thinking about it since what the implications of this are everywhere. But everything that arises in us that doesn't want to be free requires compassion to be free, to heal. Compassion is the only, compassion and love are the only sane responses. If we care about freedom and liberation, if we're organized around the aspiration for the liberation of all beings, the only sane response to anything that doesn't want to be free, that doesn't want freedom, is compassion and liberation. If we're organized around the self, usually we're like, something doesn't want to be free, they're dangerous, So I'm going to show them by showing them how unfree I can be and have a really unfree response to their lack of freedom, one full of self-grasping and attachment. That will show them. It looks something like that, although we decorate it much more nicely so it's not so glaringly insane. But. Um, insane from the perspective of <laughs> organizing our worlds for the liberation of all being. It's very sane from the perspective of the defense of self. Very sane. So we have compassion for everything that's arising that doesn't want to be free. And then the other side, the wisdom side, is to recognize that everything arising is empty of anything solid and is basically just a passing phenomenon, no matter how personal and intimate it feels. No matter how close it is to us, it's phenomena. It's just phenomena. It's just things arising. It's a sensory, it's something coming up into the sense field, into sensory awareness, falling away. It might be excruciating, but it is phenomenal. But we don't, that's not our first response to it usually. Our first response to it is truth. Absolutely true. And so if we fall too much on the wisdom side, where we go, phenomena, there's a phenomenon, it's gone we can have a very shallow relationship to transformation. Actually, we can fall. This is true both ways. If we fall too much on the wisdom side, we can have a shallow relationship to transformation because we're not feeling it. We're scooting it away with our um, wise insight into its nature. And poof, it's gone. It's phenomena, I don't have to worry about it, it's gone. Shallow relationship to transformation. 
On the other side, if it's all compassion and no wisdom, we have a shallow relationship to transformation because we can start indulging our emotionality. I'm just going to get wrapped up in this loving compassion for all of my juicy emotions. I'm going to just stay here in this big heart space and it's so thick and great and wonderful. And that's where it all is, is in that space. And we'll have epiphanies and catharsis and all of this stuff will go on. And nothing ultimately changes about our relationship to our emotionality. So to cast aside emotionality from the wisdom side is an error. And to indulge in it on the emotional side is an error. They have to both be held. These are just phenomena. And they're phenomena that we have to feel fully. With our entire body. Our entire concentrated body. We have to see and feel with a gathered heart and mind. Fully. Anything that chews them along. Is ultimately going to fail us. So in some ways you can look at the way we deal with our sensory body in the way Dogen talks about um, the aspiration for the unsurpassable, actually both aspirations. We come to our body, feel through emotionality, study what's going on without anything in it for ourselves. Strange thing to say, but it's kind of actually necessary. We have to actually look fully at what's going on here without anything in it for myself. I'm not trying to be a good person at the end of this. I'm not trying to be awakened at the end of this. I'm not trying, I don't know what's going to happen, but I need to actually engage fully in seeing without making myself better, without gaining merit. And the other aspiration of, and for the liberation of all the beings that make me up. for that freedom and to bring compassion to all of those beings that don't want to be free, to bring love to all of those beings that don't want to be free. They're just not down with this yet and they are going to fight. Pour a cloud out or zone out or do whatever they do. They're going to pick a hindrance and they're going to go with it. and to not take any of it personally, it's just a rising phenomenon. Look at that, look at that, look at that. Oh, I'm screaming inside. I'm gonna love the screaming and I'm not gonna be fooled by it.
that brings us back to concentration. I'm glad to hear from some people that they're liking this amount of sitting. Um, and that there's, yeah, everyone please move if you need to move. Um, and that there's a feeling of being gathered and that there's a feeling of stability because that's what's necessary to do both of these things, to be able to have compassion and wisdom at the same time. And the, um, otherwise we get too shaky. We get too shaky and we default to a, to a caricature of wisdom and write it off intellectually or we default to a caricature of compassion and we indulge it. And um, when the body is gathered, we're able to be with the whole thing. And I was talking with Ian about um, this shift in talking about gathering the mind or concentrating. Concentration as like I'm going to bring, I'm going to go from my thoughts to my breath rather than I'm going to include my thoughts in, the energy of my thoughts in my breath. And the dualism of the other way, I'm going to leave one for the other as opposed to including and letting the breath get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is also true for compassion. We don't bring compassion to things. We let everything into compassion. It's not like compassion is over here and there's the thing I'm going to bring compassion to. And we were, you know, do you mind me saying this? We were joking about how what the initial compassion impulse is, is to kind of fire hose the compassion over there so I don't have to go near that thing. <laughs> I'm going to stand over here and just shoot compassion at it. Then I don't actually have to feel it. It'll change 20 feet in the distance. And... Um, as opposed to including it fully in compassion. Allowing everything in the same way we allow it into the breath. We allow the whole world into compassion intimately right here. It's not, there is no over there. Not a hair's breadth deviation. And so our breath, the energy of breath and the energy of compassion, the heart being broken open and feeling the wounds of the world that are our wounds. Moving through, not getting stuck, breathing through. The breath moves through the heart, the heart moves through the breath, compassion moves with the breath, breath moves with compassion and we keep including and we keep including and compassion in the breath 
grow and grow until they are the entire world with no one left out. And if there is something along the way, and there will be a few things, that don't want to be free, don't want liberation, want to fight against it, how do we include that into the energy of compassion and the energy of breath? So that the world stays dynamic and doesn't get balled up in our muscles and locked away in ways that we have no relationship to and that run our behavior and that keep the self going because we haven't opened them up to the breath and compassion and we haven't opened and in opening them up to the breath and compassion breath and compassion grow and slowly the body is freed you know, in the translation of the Hei Hei Koso Hotsugamon, we translate save the body as through many lives, but that word is more accurately translated as liberate or free. Save is kind of a Christian translation of that word. Um, that word is more accurately free. It's the same word, it's the same character we changed in the other things when we say. Um, Beings are numberless. We used to say, I vow to save them. Now we say, I vow to free them. Free the body that is the fruit of many lives. Free the body. Free the body from the constraints of the mind, from the constraints of the karmic mind. When we feel ourselves locking up and pulling away from the world, we are not freeing the body. When we are fighting the world, we're not freeing the body. Bring breath, compassion, and wisdom to the body to free the body. And in freeing the body, we free the entire world that makes that body. And we move through that world free for the sake of other beings. And our freedom brings them freedom, even if they don't notice it. Because we're not another self in the way trying to control our territory. So thank you all for, because your effort is palpable. And I deeply appreciate that you took this up and um, the discipline and the concentration yesterday was strong.
And I know that it comes from love. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.